Wow, you guys did good. You guys are ready? Good morning to you. I'm glad you're here. Glad to be here. It's almost summertime. <laughs> 70s this week. Uh, we're not going to know what to do with ourselves. Let's pray. We're going to get right into this. I'm so glad you're here. So glad that you've decided to join us today and, uh, and give us your time. And uh, we just really, really appreciate uh, you being here with us today. Jesus, thank you. Lord, for your presence that's here. Thank you for your great love again. Thank you for your mercy that endures to all generations. Lord, thank you that you have called us by name. You know us. You're in, acquainted with us. And so, Lord, today we just ask that you would come once again, that you would speak your word to us, that we would have ears to hear. And, Lord, not just ears to hear, but a heart to respond to that which you are telling us to do. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Is the PowerPoint working back there, Taylor? We're having some technical difficulties, possibly. All right, I'll get started. We'll see if you can get that up. Today we're going to continue in our series, uh, Living the Transformed Life. I've been in Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, I'm actually um, going to be preaching basically on a sentence today from that great chapter. Uh, this chapter is really uh, a very instrumental, very pivotal chapter in the Bible about endurance, about running the race that is set before us, that is marked out for us. It's about finishing well. It is about keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, just to, to give you a little preview or review on where we've been, um, we first started talking about where, where at the beginning of Hebrews 12, the writer makes mention of uh, all those that are in Hebrews 11, this hall of faith, those who went before us, those who kept the faith. It's a list of a bunch of broken people. Can anybody relate to that? Amen. Redeemed broken people. Anybody in the house? I'm one of them. And the writer is saying, look at all these broken, redeemed people that ran the race, and, and, and if, if God's faithfulness was good enough for them and strong enough for them, you can do it too. And we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses to the faith. And then we talked about sin, and he talks about casting aside sin, subduing and mastering the sin that wants to trip us up. Last week, we talked about keeping our eyes on Jesus who desires to be the author and the finisher or the developer of our faith and our lives. And we ask these questions, who's building your life? What are the building blocks of your life? Who's authoring your life? Who is writing the story of your life? And God wants to be the one that authors our lives and builds our lives. Today, I want to challenge us as a church. And uh, it's simply that the title is Running the Race Marked Out for Us. Running the Race Marked Out for Us. That's the title. Everybody said, let us... Okay, that was 15 of you. So everybody say, let us, let us. Run, the race. run the race. And the encouragement here is that the writer is saying, let all of us, those that believe in Christ, those that belong to Christ, to run the race that God has marked out for us. Let us run it with perseverance is what he says. We talked last week about how we do that, keeping our eyes on Jesus. But I want to challenge us today. It's going to be an encouragement. It's going to be a new invitation for us to run together as a church body. 
and the things that God has called us to do. I, as I was praying this past week, and I just felt strongly that I, would, that, that I needed to reiterate what God has spoken to my heart as, a, as, as the pastor here, the things that he's laid on my heart, the vision, the mission that I believe that he is speaking over this church, and I want to share it with you today. Some of you guys will, you'll be familiar with some of this. You've heard some of this, but I think it bears repeating, and we need to challenge if you're if you're new here or you're not uh, familiar with where we're going, this is a good day for you to be here because I'm going to talk about where we're going as a church, running the race that is set out for us. And again, one of the key themes of this whole series is that God wants us to finish well. He wants us to run the race faithful and he wants us to get to the end of our lives whenever that might be. And he wants us to hit that finish line well that we go into glory and we go before him with as little regret as possible. To hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you kept your eyes on me. You ran faithfully for me. What, what a day that will be when he embraces us and says, well done, because we're all going to see it. We will all see him face to face. Whether we get to, again, be blessed and live to an old age and then pass from this life to the next, or if, if something would happen to us tomorrow, we just don't ever know when we will step into eternity. But eternity is real. We don't just cease to be. Eternity is real. The real us is not this flesh and not this blood. The real us is inside, and we will live forever, and we will live in eternity and that is why Jesus went to the cross out of great love. And there is, a, there is a seriousness to this that we need to be reminded of the church that eternity is real. And we will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. And, and, and the writer here is, he's saying, run that race. Run it with perseverance. Run it well. Stay faithful. He says, watch out for the sin that will try to trip you up. Keep running. Keep running, keep running, because I'm convinced one of the essential keys to finishing well is to do the work of the kingdom and to keep running. Don't stop running. Doing the work of the kingdom, doing what he's called us to do, following him until he takes us home or until he returns. But don't stop running. There was a powerful illustration story uh, a true story that, that maybe some of you are familiar with, but it was a guy named Derek Redmond that ran in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. He was from England, and he ran the 400 meters. That's one lap. You know, it's, it's uh, one lap for me would be a long-distance run, I think. Um, I would pace myself. Um, for these guys, it's a sprint. They're going around the track quickly, one lap. And so he was in the semifinals, and uh, the, top, the top four of that race would go into the, the, you know, the medal race. And, uh, and he was you know, heavily favored to do well. I don't know if he was exactly picked to win, but he was one of the favorites. And so you know, and these guys train, these guys and gals train for this moment. You know, they're, they're, this is what they're training for. And he, they start, he starts well. He's actually in the lead, and then his hamstring pops. If you're an athlete, everybody just grimaced. Um, you know, the, the, that muscle in the back of your leg just popped, and he came up hobbling, you know, and uh, obviously went down first and was grabbing the back of his leg. But then he did something pretty amazing. He got up and he started hopping. 
because he wanted to finish the race. You know, and, and everything in you would say, you know, it's okay to, to stop racing. It's okay to lay in the grass and just wait till somebody can come and help you. But he was intent on finishing the race, so he began to, to begin to hop around the track. Well, just about in that time, there was, uh, there was some, something going on in the stands, and people were wondering what was going on, and this man is making his way through the people, and then he kind of moves guards. Guards are trying to stop him, and he is making his way out to the track, and you see him, and there's a video on it, and he's pushing the security away. This is Derek Redmond's dad, and he goes out there, and he said, when I saw my son going to finish the race, I was going to finish it with him. And so he puts his arm around his son and they finish this race and they walk around and that place went crazy. The cheering, the cloud of witnesses, the crowd of witnesses around just begin to cheer. And I always think it's sad for the guy who ended up winning that race. Nobody will ever remember him. Poor guy. They're going to remember the Derek Redmond event, but they're never going to remember that guy. And his dad said, if he was intent on finishing, I was going to finish with him. And I'm like, what a spiritual truth and analogy that is. Because we all have issues. We all have brokenness. We all have things that, the, whether it's sin or the past or shame or condemnation or things that trip us up. And there's every excuse in the world to stop running. And God is here to speak a word to your heart that says, don't stop running the race. Because just as Derek Redmond's father, the father in heaven, Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and say, do not stop running. Keep running the race. Finish well. And he crossed that line and the crowd went crazy. God wants you to finish well. I want to stir us up and I want to encourage and challenge us about us being about the business and the kingdom of Christ. I believe with all my heart, and I, and I want you to hear my heart today, but I believe that God is changing the culture and the spiritual DNA of the church. Because the church has been in decline. And you, you know, you've heard me say the numbers. They're always out there. And if some of you guys that like to read those church articles and leadership about you know, pastors quitting and churches closing, and I don't have to keep talking about that. Well, actually, I keep do talking about it. But because I think that there's something on our hearts that we've got to realize that something is happening in the church and we have to change the culture and the DNA of the church. But based on this passage, I want to reiterate the vision of reaching up and reaching out. Reaching up, reaching right. He has marked out a race for each of us. And that's what that writer is saying. Run the race marked out for you. Jesus has marked out a race for the church, for the people in the church. That race is to follow him, live for him, love for him. It's a great quote from Henry Rowland, and it'll, it'll come up here. Every life we touch is a field. Everything we do and all the words we speak are seed. What will the harvest be? Isn't that powerful? Every life we touch is a field. Everything we do and all the words that we speak are seed. What will the harvest be? And that seed, folks, can be positive or negative. James says that, the, that, that, that there is power in the tongue. The, the power of death and life are in the tongue. You can build somebody up and you can tear them down. You can plant seeds of, of, of life, or you can plant seeds of death in, a, in somebody else with the words that we say and the things that we do. What is, what is the harvest of your life going to be? This, again, is about finishing well. And it's, again, also about embracing the mercies of God, that if you've not been running well, you can start today. 
and be on task and, and, and running the race with Christ again and he extends mercy and love to you and me. But I want my harvest to be rich. I want to be found faithful. And we have all the passages where Jesus says, work while it's still day. For night is coming when no one will be able to work. Work while it's still day. Be about the business of the kingdom. You see Jesus going about, doing good, filled with the Holy Spirit. It says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and he went out to do good. He also said this. He says, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And that's very true today. Jesus doesn't mess up any words, and it's as good today as it was for them. The harvest is ripe. There are people all around us that need Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, the laborers are few. I want us to be a church of laborers in the harvest field. Amen? I want us to be a church who is about the business of the kingdom, to be laborers in the harvest field. As Christ followers, we are on mission with him. That's the very definition of Christian. The name Christian is, means Christ follower. I shared this a few weeks ago when we come, come, coming back from the conference, and, and then I, I was meditating on this about what it means to be a Christ follower. So that means we're following him, and he's leading. Where is he leading us to? And in the Gospels, if you look at the life of Christ, you see the king of creation being a servant. You see the Lord of everything making himself of no reputation and coming and laying his life down. And if we are following him, where is he leading us? Because Again, he is going to put his loving arm around us. And he says, you have me. You have my love. You have the revelation of my love. Now I want you to follow me. And here's where I'm going to take you. And if we see his life, he makes us. And he says, see that guy? His name is Zacchaeus. This guy lives for money. He's broken. He's lost and he's hurting. And he's living for money. That's who I'm leading you to. Go touch his life because that's who Jesus touched. And then he's going to put his arm around you and he's going to go, see that woman at that well over there? She's been married five times and she's living with a man now. Her life is utterly in ruins. And she's looking for love in all the wrong places and she's hurting and she's down. And I want you to go over there and I want you to give your time and your life because that's what Jesus did. And then for some, he's going to say, see this woman over here? She was caught in the act of adultery. And all the religious people want her to die. They don't care anything about her. The religious people are just disgusted with her. And they're casting her aside. I want you to go over there and love on that woman. Because she needs somebody. She needs authentic Christianity. She needs somebody that's filled with me. Now go over there and love, with, and love her. And give her my love. And then he's going to take you to kids that are from broken families to kind of tie it to our day. He's going to maybe take you to the broken family themselves. And he's going to say, look at this broken family. They need Jesus. They need love. They desperately need love. Who's reaching them? He's going to take us to the girl working at the store that we can easily ignore and say, I, I, he may not even ask you to do anything major. Just be kind to her today. It might be the only kind word she hears all week. 
Donna's not here, so I'm going to tell a story on her. I've got the mic, and she can't stop me. We were talking about this last week, and she said, something caught me off guard, just the simple acts, and she said, I'm not patting myself on the back, because you know Donna, how much she pats herself on the back, you know. Um, she does it, by the way. She was kind at the, uh, there was a greeter at Walmart, and she was just nice to her, and this greeter who Donna recognizes and Donna speaks to her, and the lady stopped her this last time, and she said, I want you to know how much it means to me that you ask me how I'm doing. She said, nobody ever does that. And she said, I just want you to know that means a lot. And Donna was just struck by that, of saying just this simple act of kindness. And that's who Jesus deeply loves, because it might be the only kind word that they hear. The clerk at the gas station, this might be their second, third, fourth job that they're trying to pay the bills. This family that suffered loss, those that are far away from God, these are who Jesus will take us to when we are following him. We've had so much teaching in the church. We've received so much, especially in America. We have resources at our fingertips, books, CDs, DVDs, internet. <laughs> we can leave here today and go hear 50 awesome sermons the best ever. And we've received and we've received, but it's time to change the culture and the DNA of the church to say, now we've received, now let's go out there and follow Jesus because that's where he's at. 2 Corinthians 5.20, and I'm going to look at a few passages here, but we are his ambassadors. Jesus calls us to follow him. Paul says this about us. He said, we are Christ's ambassadors. And he's making his plea through us. He's making his plea through us. Come back to God. And that's the plea to the, to, to the lost, to the hurting, to the broken. He's making his plea through us. Again, I said this earlier, but we're, we're going to be starting the adult Sunday school class um, next week. It's called The Love Revolution. It's Joyce Meyer. A lot of you have heard from her. She's a phenomenal teacher, one of my favorite teachers. She's very practical. Went through her testimony is unbelievable. I mean, if you don't know her story, it's incredible testimony of God's redemption. She was abused by her dad for many years growing up, and, and, uh, and, and she gave her heart to the Lord. She's in, in ministry now, and, and she started this thing called the Love Revolution. I'm encouraging you. I don't do this much, but I'm challenging you. If you're not involved in another Sunday school class teaching or I'm encouraging you to come out next week for the next eight weeks, nine o'clock in the morning, and be a part of this class because this is a part of the changing the DNA and the culture of the church. And I'm encouraging you to come out next eight weeks. Bring your coffee. Bring whatever you do to keep yourself awake and get up a little early and make it happen because this is where we're going. We want to start a love revolution here. Well, I'm going to do it by myself then if you're not with me. But I believe that God is calling us and speaking us to be a reaching church. Part of finishing well is to be about his business. When we get so inward focused and me, me, me focused, we get miserable. And that's how we don't finish well. 
Because if you're following Christ, he's going to love you and he's going to pour out his grace on you. And then he's going to lead you to help others. Because that's where we find him, laying his life down. Because that was the ultimate thing he did when he came was he laid his life down for us. And now as his followers, as the body of Christ, should we not be ready to lay our lives down for the lost? A reaching church to the lost, to the least of these, to the hurting, to the broken. You will see it in all in Jesus' ministry. You will see that as the call of the church. The problem is, is we've forgotten the call. That's why the church has lost its effectiveness. That's why a lot of people say the church really doesn't touch me in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't relate to me. Is because we have lost the mission. We've forgotten the mission. God wants us to lay our lives down, to take up our cross. That means we'll leverage stuff for the lost. We'll leverage money for the lost. Our main mission will be those that are far away from God. Reaching up, reaching out, and not just reaching in. We've reached in for a long time. It's time to start reaching out. But I want our church, and I want to challenge our church. And again, this is, this is, this is an issue worldwide in the body of Christ. I'm not just saying it's just our church, but we have responsibility for where we're at. So I want our church to be a church that starts a love revolution. I want us to be known. I want the DNA and the culture of our church. I want us to be known as a loving church. I want when people come in here, they are met with the love of Christ through us as his ambassadors. He's making his plea through us. That we are known as a loving church. That when we are out and about and we are speaking to people and we're living lives on purpose, people go, you know, what, what's, what's up with you? And, uh, you know, what's up with your church? Well, you guys are a real loving church. You're a little crazy, but you're loving. It's okay to be a little crazy. I want us to be known as a caring church. I want us to be known as a joyful church. A passionate church. A unified church. A church where people find true hope and peace and joy in Jesus. And I want that to be our message. I want it to be the message that we preach. Because I want people to see authentic Jesus in and through us. And it's time to change some things. It's time to change the DNA. It's time to change the culture. Because we're reaching people that are far away from God. And we want them to know him. And we might have to start speaking a different language to the culture. Now, we're not going to speak a different message. Did you hear what I'm saying? The word of God holds true. The gospel is the gospel. We will not ever change that. We will call people to Jesus. And I will be unapologetic about calling people to Christ and the life-transforming power of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is none like him. He is the way to heaven. And we will preach that, but we will change our methods. We will change the look of things to reach people. We're going to change the DNA. It's going to happen. I believe God is speaking this very strongly to my heart. But as you look at Jesus, you know, that the, and I said this before, but the lost and the broken were drawn to him. Wherever he was, they would go. And if we're following him and we're about his business, shouldn't the lost be drawn here? 
I mean, shouldn't they be? Shouldn't shouldn't that be the natural flow is if we see in the Gospels Jesus and then we're being like Jesus, the lost should be drawn. The broken, why do they push and why are they resistance to the church is because we've gotten too religious. We've slipped over to Pharisee instead of Christ. That's why he challenged hard the, the, the religious spirit. That's why he was adamant. He was angry at the religious If you want to see Jesus fired up and mad, look at what he does with the religious. That's where you see anger coming out of him, righteous anger. It's because they were interfering with lost people getting to know Jesus. They were right there blocking the way, rebuking, you know, what are you doing? Your teacher is hanging out with sinners. He's going to their parties. I can't believe that he's hanging around those people. He's a drunkard. He's this. He's a partier. What is he thinking? And Jesus called them snakes. And he said, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We had to take that to heart. And if we're following him and we have his life in us, they should be drawn to us. And they should be drawn not to us, but to him in us. And Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things the works that he's planned for us long ago. He's planned good works for us. Colossians 1, 9 through 12, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. This was the apostolic prayer the other night at at the house of prayer. And Paul's saying, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Who wants to live a life worthy of the Lord to please him in every way? That is my heart. And then he says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Because the more you get to know God, the more he's going to take you on mission with him. And you're going to grow in every good work. And then you're going to be strengthened, it says, with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have endurance and patience. And I think it's to finish well. Then it says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. God qualifies us to share in the inheritance of his holy people. So God's inheritance becomes our inheritance that we share with him. That's a beautiful passage. And so we're called to be more than just attenders. Steve said this so well when he preached a few weeks ago, and I've been meditating on it, I've been praying for us, that we're not just a church of consumers. And that's a part of changing the DNA and culture of the church is because we live in a very consumeristic society. America is consumerism, consumerism, consumerism. We have 100 different choices on 100 different things. If we don't like that one, we push that aside and we go to this one. If we don't like that one, we change that. That's why they change technology every two months. I mean, in five years, it'll be the iPad 35. Just think about it, and the thing does stuff for you. Be robots, like, you know, going to the kitchen and getting you something to eat. Wouldn't that be great? No, it wouldn't, please. (laughs) But God has called us to be a part of his kingdom. We're all called to reach with him. And he wants us to be active contributors. And I want to challenge you where you're at. Again, don't receive this as, as, as... as condemnation, receive it as a loving encouragement that the mercies of God can start for us every morning. It can start today. And we can change it today. He simply does not want us just to be a Sunday pew dweller. 
He doesn't. Because if you do, that, that's, that's the life of Christianity. Is, is kind of, that's when it becomes lifeless. And it, you start thinking about yourself all the time. And then, you know, it, then you just kind of get depressed. A part of finishing well, part of the joy is to be on mission with Jesus. Rick Warren even said, and I can quote Rick Warren because he's a, another pastor and I don't have to say it, but he challenged his people one time. He said this, if you're not an active member of the vision and the mission of the church, don't come back. We need your seat. Ooh. Yikes. He can say that. He's running 20,000 people. So uh, there's some truth to that, though. And again, receive this as an encouragement and a challenge that God loves you and he has a plan for you. But he wants us to be contributors to the vision and the mission in which God has, has given us. And, and I've told you this before, one of, the, one of the, um, the humilities of God is he puts people in charge. I don't know why he set it up that way. He just did. And God has spoken to our hearts as leadership of where we're going the vision and the mission and where we're going. What I'm sharing with you today, this is where we're going as a church. We are going to go there intentionally. We're going to go there and we are going to go there hard. And there's things that have to shift and there's things that will have to change, but I'm excited about it. Change is hard, but it's good. The very definition of life is change. When, when an organism stops changing, it has died. And so we're going to be intentional with this. We will make changes. We're going to continue to make changes. Some of these changes are going to make us feel uncomfortable. But I'm calling you to the vision and the mission in which God has spoken to us. And let's go in unity because when we get, when we get unified and we love each other and we're going after this mission together, we will see things like we've never seen before. I love Doug. But we reach up to him again in lifestyle of worship. Then he shares his heart with us. And then we reach out. It's a natural flow. Worshiping God, serving people. Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. You know, they're trying to trap him. And what's the greatest commandment? What should one be follow? He said, you know what? It all boils down to this. Love God with everything that's within you and then love people. And we have overcomplicated that through the years. We've over-doctrinated so many different things. It's loving God with everything and then loving people. That's why the church exists. I'm going to run through this very quickly, but how do we reach? How do we run the race marked out for us? What is God speaking? And I'm going to, you guys have seen this acronym before of REACH. I shared it a couple years ago, but this is who we are. This is the DNA of the church. This is where we're going. R is to reveal Christ in everything that we do. Revealing Christ in everything we do. Again, I talked about being his ambassadors. But how do we reveal him in everything we do? What does it mean to reveal? It, it, mean, it means this. It's to make known. It's to lay open to view. It's to display. It's to put on an exhibit of something. And it's, we want Christ. We want to reveal him and to put him on display and put him out there for people to see on how we act and how, what we say. Allowing our words to align with our actions. And so to reveal Christ is to make his life known through me, to put him in open view. Do people see Jesus in us? 
Well, I want us to start, I want, it, I want it to begin today. I want us to live intentionally. Does my life put him on display? Do they see something different in me? Colossians 3, I love this. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Please don't miss that point. You are holy and dearly loved. And, he's, and, and Paul says this, clothe yourselves with this. And if we could get this, this would revolutionize and change everything. He said, clothe yourselves with this, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. That means to put up with one another in grace. So how many know we're going to offend each other? There's going to be things we don't like about each other. Look at her family. The church is just a big family of broken people. They're sitting next to you. They're imperfect. The guy talking to you is imperfect. Don't be saying amen too loud about that now. <laughs> it's like, oh no, bad time to say amen. But put up with one another in grace. Yeah, I mean, this is fun. Can we just be a family here? Let's, uh, uh. I won't charge you for that. Just that we put up with each other in love. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive your grievances and sins. And over all of those, put on love. Over all those, put on love. And he's not just talking about ooey-gooey feelings of love. He's talking about the self-sacrificial love that goes beyond feelings. He says, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. So if you're walking around and you don't have a lot of peace, that might mean that you're disconnected from the body of Christ and you're out from underneath the vision of the church. I'm just going to shoot that straight with you. When you're apart, when you're with you, he's called us to peace. It says this, be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly so that you can teach and admonish one another. Worship with a gratitude in your hearts to God. Notice that Paul does not say, unless you don't like the music. You do not have to worship if you don't like the music. He doesn't say that. He said, worship God with an attitude of gratitude. God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. I can't stand this song, but you're worthy. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I don't like the guitar, but you're worthy. It's all about you. It's always been about you. But this broken person next to me likes the guitar, so I can let the guitar fly because I want them to get it. And whatever you do, whatever you say, and this is revealing Christ, whatever you do, whatever you say in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord. Everything we do is done unto the Lord, giving thanks to God, our Father. This is how we reveal Christ in all that we do. Does this sound overwhelming? It's meant to be because he doesn't want you to do it without him. It's where he comes alongside and says, I love you deeply. And that's what he said at the beginning of that passage. I love you deeply. Now let's go serve the world together. And don't miss out on the power of simple things. Again, simple acts. People that you work with, it's not by accident that you're around them. The people that you're in school with, it's not by accident. 
God doesn't make accidents. Nothing's by chance. He has put those people around you for a purpose and a reason. Grab hold of that. At work, at school, at the store, be intentional. Number two is encourage one another to acts of love and good works. It's the second place of where we reach. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us think of ways to encourage one another to acts of love and good works. I'm encouraging you today to acts of love and good works. Encourage each other in that. If you hear somebody complaining that they don't like something, say, are you encouraging somebody? Are you, I'm going to encourage you to love and good works instead of complaining. Because if they get into love and good works, they'll stop complaining. Because they'll be on a mission with Jesus. Let us think of ways to encourage one another to acts of love and good works. Love and good works. Love and good works. What does it mean to encourage? It means to spur on, to motivate, to stir up, to promote, to provoke, to incite each other. To love and good works. And this is where that body of Christ, this is where we come together and we encourage each other. This is the revolution of love and good works coming out. Not love and good works towards salvation. Not love and good works to say, Lord, I'm going to do this and I hope Jesus loves me more. He could not love you any more than he does right now. And it's not love and good works to get, gain his favor. He loves you deeply. It's about loving him and loving God with all you are and then loving others. It's about him putting his arm around you and saying, let's go love and serve the world together. What impact would we make if we were known as this kind of church? Again, under the vision of the leadership, encourage each other, motivate each other, work together, spur each other on to acts of love and good works. Number three is accomplish what we were created to do. This flows in with Hebrews 12. Run the race that is marked out for you. Accomplish what we're created to do. Ephesians 3.20, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. He's not short on his end. He's got all we need. We just have to live submitted to him. Running the race marked out for us. Accomplishing what we were created to accomplish. So that word that Patty had was so right is we're all unique. We're all called into different spheres. Just be faithful where God has placed you. And again, this is one of the keys to happiness, living a life of contentment and happiness and peace is when you are accomplishing what you're created to do. When we get me focused, when we get complaining, when we get what, we, what was happened is we've stopped running. God wants us to keep running. Again, to accomplish what we were created for isn't about us working harder or trying to be more clever. It's getting just a hold of the heart of God, loving him with all we are, humbling ourselves before him, realizing that without him we can do nothing, and then doing things with him. And then it just comes down to obedience and walking with him and just those, that daily life of obedience. Simple acts of love, loving God, loving others, intentionally. Making the most of all those opportunities. Next is to care for others in this acronym of REACH, caring for others, caring for our neighbor, caring for the lost, caring for the broken, caring for those people that Jesus will take us to because he will point us in those directions. Genuinely caring for them. One of the definitions of care is to protect, 
to make provision for or to look out for another. So we're commanded by Scripture to care for other people, to look out for them, to make provision for them. And this is the, the passage that uh, a lot of people have been memorizing from Philippians 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. And then he says this, don't be selfish. Do it with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't, do, don't be rogue. Don't go off doing your own thing. Do it with one mind and one purpose and the vision, the mission of the church. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than, as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests only, but take interest in others too. This is caring for others. And it comes in unity, humility, compassion, love, selflessness. And that's why the, the, you know, the, the one where it says we're supposed to spur one another on to love and good works, Hebrews 10, 25, it says don't neglect meeting together. The writer says don't neglect meeting together as some do. We need each other. We need to come together. That's why this is important. But this is just one tiny, small component of the church. We've made this building, we've made Sunday morning the church. That's not it. That's, one, that's this much of the church. We come here and we spur one another on. We get equipped and then we go out there and be the church. Amen? You guys are still awake? With me? And then lastly is honor God and honor others. 1 Peter 1.3 is all honor to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. The kingdom is about him. The church is about him. When the church stops being about Jesus and his mission, we have missed the point. And so we want to have a culture of honoring God here as a part of shifting the culture. Honoring God honoring others, developing that culture in the church, an honor and reverence to God, an honor towards each other. What does it mean to honor? It's to distinguish, to give great respect, to hold in high esteem and value. And so why is honor so important? It's an act of humility, understanding that God is in control and there's no one or nothing higher than him. And so we honor him first and foremost and understand that the church is about him and it's about his mission. But in, in the scriptures, we are told to honor each other. That's why, in, in, if you're tracking along in the one-year Bible, you know, when the, uh, when, the, when the children of Israel, you know, when they got out into the wilderness and things started going awry a bit, they, they got angry at Moses and they got angry at the leadership and they began to complain and grumble. And, uh, you know, Joshua and Caleb and the other spies went out and spied out the land and they came back and Caleb, man, he was just fired up. He said, we can do it. We can take the land. The other guys are like, you know, and Joshua was with him and the other guys are like, no, this is bad. This is really, really, really bad. And then the children of Israel, and then, and then those, those eight people giving a bad report caused there to be a stirring among the people. And here's what the people of Israel, they said that they were looking to Caleb and Joshua wanting to stone them to death. And they said, we are going to get rid of Moses as a leader. We're going to make a leader for ourselves, and they're going to lead us back to Egypt where we had good soup. But they were in slavery. And they were going to revolt 
against leadership. Let's kill Joshua and Caleb for giving a good report. Let's kill them. And let's make a leader. Let's, let, let's raise somebody else a leader. Let's ignore what God has put in place. Let's make a leader for ourselves and let them lead us back to Egypt. And then I think God had every intention of trying to draw out Moses' compassion because here's what God said. Okay, back up. Get everybody out. I'm going to toast them. This is the, you, see, you, see some, you see some righteous anger from the Lord. I'm gonna, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to die. And Moses said, God, please, don't kill them. Because the enemies will think that, you know, you don't care about us. And I think God all along, you know, he was just trying to draw out Moses' compassion. And so he says, okay, I will relent, but here's what's going to happen. All of those people, 20 and older, that complained, that refused to do what I called them to do, they will wander for 40 years and they will not inherit my promises for them. And that's the fear of the Lord passage. God, check our hearts, Lord. We want to honor you. We want to honor you. We want to live lives of honor before the Lord because it's about him. Because here's what he tells Moses. He said, this complaint's not about you. This complaint's about me. They're not rejecting you, Moses. They're rejecting me. And it's so easy for us. It's easy for me to do that. Is to look at circumstances or look at something that I don't agree with and, and then go after and, 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 and not submit or not give honor. And what I'm doing is I'm not giving honor to God. I've been guilty of that. And I stand here as one who has been guilty of that. God wants a culture of honor because the kingdom is about Jesus Christ. It's about his mission. It's about him laying his life down. It's about us laying our lives down for others. And the Bible has so much to say about honor. And it's hard to honor those that you don't agree with, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we have the test of honor every day. That's why this whole thing about God elevating people to places of leadership. Wherever you fall in the political sphere, you can, you know, one moment I like that president and I don't like this president and he's a great guy and he's a bad guy. We're told to honor him and pray for him. And when we, if, we, if we speak evil of him, what we're doing is we're, we're dishonoring God because God says every, every place of authority I've ordained. So we have to be careful what we say. And say, I want to honor you, God. I want to pray for the Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, he said, pray for those who are in leadership. Pray for those who govern over you. He's talking about governing authorities as well. We have to pray for them and give them honor for that position that it will go well with us. We need a culture of honor because it's about Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close with this. I want to be a reaching church. I want us to be a loving church. I want us to be a caring church. I want us to be an honoring church. I want to start a love revolution. I want to change the DNA and the culture of, of, of the church. I want it to begin with us. I want it to begin in this region. I want it to begin with you and me. It will begin individually. God will call us to things, and he's just looking for daily obedience to follow him. And if we're following Jesus... 
That's where he's going to lead us. And again, I feel like that he's spoken this strongly to my heart of where we're going. Reveal him, encourage others, accomplish what he wants us to accomplish, care for others, honor each other, honor God. And then Colossians 3.13 was the end of that one passage. Is above all, love. Above all, put love on. And we're on mission with Jesus to care for people. We're going to go after. We're going to go after the lost. We're going to go after the hurting like never before. We're going to change the culture, the DNA. There's going to be massive changes that are going to be coming because this is what God is leading us to do. And we're going to be intentional about it. And I'm encouraging you and I'm inviting you on this mission with me and with Jesus. Let's pray together and we're going to receive communion as we close. Lord Jesus, we love you today. Lord, thank you that you have spoken to our hearts. And Lord, now we want to obediently follow you where you're leading us. It's an old song that says, where you lead me, I will follow. And Jesus, you are going to lead us to the hurting, to the least of these. That's who you came for. That's who your heart was for. Lord, I pray that we would be intentional. I pray that we would be on mission with Christ. We would be a loving church. We'd be a caring church, a caring people, reaching out, joyful, passionate, giving people hope, being kind, simple acts of kindness and love, Lord, every day. Let us start a love revolution here. Lord, let it begin with me. I don't want to just stand up here and preach it. I want to live it. Forgive me where I've not lived it. And Lord, forgive us as the church when we have forgotten what it's about. That it's not about us, it's about you. God, help us to be obedient to what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, right now I'm going to just lead us into a time of communion. Um, Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for us. Lord, that this is why we live, this is why we exist, is because Jesus came and he died for us. And we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Before we take communion, um, I I just want to just kind of give you direction. And, uh, you know, most of you understand communion and why we take it, but um, it just bears repeating that this is one of the sacraments of the church that we were given by Jesus. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he modeled this and he gave his disciples and, and then he told Paul to do likewise and he said, you know, until I return, I want you to continue to do this to remember what I did for you. And that night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he was, he was doing kind of a symbolic message to them. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen to my body. My body's going to be broken apart for the world. And they beat him and they, they beat him with, beyond recognition. And he was broken for you and me out of great love for us. And then he took this cup of wine and he said, this is the, the blood of the new covenant that, that, that God is making between, you know, between him and his people and the, that I'm going to be the fulfiller of the covenant. My blood shed for many. And what he told them, he said, when, whenever you're eating it, I want you to remember my sacrifice. Whenever you're drinking the cup, I want you to remember my sacrifice. I don't ever want you to forget why I came.
My mission was to lay my life down. That's why the mission of this church has to be to lay our lives down for others. But he came and he gave up everything for us. And so today as we receive these elements, it's a little cracker, there's nothing special about it in itself. A little cup of juice, nothing really special. It is symbolic. It's a memorial time. Don't lose the power and the significance of this. I don't care if you've taken communion all your life. Whenever you take communion, ask the Lord, say, let me take this communion in a new way today to remember you in a new way, to never forget what you did. And so as we receive communion this morning, let us receive it in love, remembering his great love. Um, the way we do it here at Community Bible, you don't have to be a member of our church um, to take communion. We ask that uh, simply that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. You've accepted him in your life um, as Lord and Savior. Um, but there again, just as, as it's an open communion, there, you're under no obligation to receive communion at all. It's just something that's between you and the Lord. And uh, so, you know, it'll be open. This side of the, the, the congregation, if you want to receive these elements up here, this side, receive these elements. If there's somebody that needs assistance, if you could just, you could raise your hand in a moment and somebody will be able to bring um, the elements back to you um, if you need that help. But uh, so we're going to, we're going to just, I'm just going to close the time. This is how we're going to close today. You can take the elements back to your seat. You can take them up here. We won't take them corporately together, but you can take them however you want to. You can sit up here. You can meditate. You can sit in your pew and uh, worship the Lord and pray. Um, if you need to go, God bless you. Just take, let's take the fellowship into the foyer. Um, just let's make this place a, a, you know, a, a sanctuary of, 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 of just kind of quietness and reflection and prayer. Um, and as you go today, be blessed and have a great day and a great week. And so let's, let's pray over the elements and then uh, we'll put some uh, worship music on and, and we'll receive. Father, in Jesus' name again, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, I don't want to lose the significance and the, the power of this moment that you really did go to a real cross and you allowed yourself to be tortured because of my sins. And my sins are what hung you on the cross. And Lord, today we just say thank you so much. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you didn't have to, but you chose to because you chose us. Lord, as we receive communion, as we receive today, we receive of you. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I pass on to you what I, what I received from the Lord, that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he raised it up and he gave thanks to God and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat it, and as often as you eat it, remember me. And then likewise, he took the cup after the supper, and he raised it up, and he gave thanks for it, and he said, this is my blood shed for the sins of many, to reveal the covenant between God and his people, that the sacrifice of his blood was enough. On the cross, he said, it is finished. It's paid in full. When we receive him, our sins are covered. 
And he said, as often as you drink it, remember me. So, Lord, today we want to remember you. We thank you for your sacrifice, and we receive it with thanks and gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today.